I don't know about you, but I've sat through interviews and I've not got them. I've not got the job. The feedback is often, though, enlightening because you find out what it was they were actually looking for. And then you realise that sometimes it wasn't even on the job description. We all admit that life is easier if we know what's expected of us. These days, every child will be familiar with the phrase success criteria. It's written on the board at the start of the lesson or they'll write it in their books or it'll be on the worksheet. And it quite simply explains what's expected of them to pass. For example, consistently use capital letters and full stops. And then there's a place to check. Achieved, not achieved, partly achieved. And children too are expected to self-assess. Did they achieve the criteria? And they can colour it using a traffic light system, red, amber or green. You know, with God, we can often find ourselves wondering if we've met his success criteria. Lots of religions claim they have the answer as to what God requires. They have his success criteria. And other people seem to have an opinion too on what he might like based on perhaps their own moral compass or what they think God's like. I wonder about you. Is the success criteria being kind to others, being good to your fellow human beings, uh, supporting a charity, maybe even reading your Bible or praying? Who knows? Maybe you're not even sure there is a God and therefore the test is irrelevant. The success criteria will be simply whatever you make it. But if it turns out there is a God and he's loving, as the Bible says, then you would expect that God would provide us with what his success criteria is. Well, we still have some time to do something about it. And you may be surprised at what it is. So what does the Bible say about what God requires of us? In the passage we read, or we had read to us even just now, the writer Matthew, along with the other three gospel writers, identified John the Baptist as the one who will prepare the way for Jesus. He is going to be an examiner. In preparation, John calls for spiritual revival in the land. All four gospels record John dressing like and declaring himself the herald spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 3, verse 3 of Matthew says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now the prophecy John quotes here is from Isaiah 40, written hundreds of years before, and it anticipates the day of the Lord. This is the day when God would come and judge the earth. In Jesus' time, trade routes were referred to as the King's Highway. Whereas most roads would have been mud tracks, the king's highway would have been more substantial. If a king was to visit, of course, the road would be levelled, potholes filled, not like Southampton, and the bridges would be repaired. The prophecy John quotes, of course, isn't talking about a literal road here, but a spiritual road. The road which is made ready for receiving God. When we're preparing for a visit, not that we know much about that now, but if you can cast your mind back to a time when you actually had someone in your house, we get ready. I used to joke that hosting house group once a week ensured that our living room did get cleaned at least once a week. 
But how do you get ready for someone who isn't looking at the outside or how good your coffee is? Uh, but how do you prepare for him when he's coming to examine the inside, what our hearts look like? In the passage, we read that people went out to John from Jerusalem and Judea, the whole region, in fact, and they were confessing their sins and they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. Now, John's baptism, don't confuse it with believers' baptism with what we do today, what we have in church. John's baptism is one of repentance, not response. When Christians are baptised, it's a response to what Jesus has already done in their hearts. But John's baptism was a symbol of repentance, getting ready for something to be done. In John's time, those coming to Judaism, becoming a Jew, would undergo circumcision and then get baptised. These Jews here are coming to John, admitting they need a fresh start with with God. They need to sort of start being Jews again. They know that if God is coming, they're not ready. If we're honest, when we too examine ourselves, we know we're not ready either. We know we've failed the test. We might be able to colour in an amber traffic light for a partial fulfilment. We might get a B for effort, but not one of us can say we've fulfilled God's criteria, not even by our own standards. We know we just can't do it. We might be able to fool others, but in our hearts, in the secret place that God looks, we don't want them because we know that we haven't done it. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees also came to John. They made up the supreme religious court in the time. They were experts in the Hebrew Bible. And Jesus rebuked them lots for failing to do what they told others to do. Here, though, these guys join the crowds and John too challenges them with these words. Show fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if they don't live how they say others should live, then judgment is coming to them and they can't hide behind their famous holy ancestors or religious rituals or the fancy clothes they wear. They need to walk the walk, as they say, not just talk the talk. When it comes to God, rituals, clothes, our religious parentage, the country and culture we're born in, the words we say, They're just the wrappings. God's looking at the heart. The Greek word for repentance is not say story to stop God smiting you. That's a bit, a lot of S's. It's not a bargaining chip to be sure that your life goes okay. And it's not a guarantee that God will just be on your side. Repentance in Greek literally means to change your mind. Paul, who was a Pharisee, encountered Jesus in the most powerful way. He had his mind utterly changed and he wrote that followers of Jesus are changed through the renewing of their minds. As they offer themselves outside and in to Jesus and his transformational power. He wrote this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that's forgiveness through Jesus, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. John's message is not just changing your mind about how you're living, following rules better, for example, but actually getting ready for the Lord, accepting him. And by the Lord, he means Jesus. And we'll think more about that next week. John says of Jesus to those who come recognising who he is and that they've messed up. He's powerful, worthy of praise, and he'll baptise, give you a fresh start, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power we need to truly change and live in relationship with God. So what does God require of us? Hmm. Well, lots, I guess. But firstly and primarily, we need to accept Jesus as his son, the Lord and King of our lives. When we accept him, we change our mind about who God is. We repent of who we made God out to be or what we convinced ourselves about, about what he wanted from us. We change our minds, our philosophies, our practices. We know it's about him. And as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, God's gift of love to us, we are transformed. It's like a bath. Imagine a huge swimming pool. And when we come to Jesus, we are filled and consumed and overwhelmed by his spirit. And he changes the way we think about everything. And this is an ongoing process of change that'll never stop until Jesus comes again. When he comes again, John uses a familiar farming picture to his listeners of separating the wheat from the chaff they would have seen at Lowe's. It won't be about how good we've been or how many points we've earned for good behaviour or what achievements we have or how many friends we've made or how often we've prayed even. The only price criteria will be what we think of Jesus. However great we think we are or how rubbish we think we've been, like John, none of us are worthy to tie even his sandals. And that's why Christians, followers of Christ, can never look down on others or claim they're nicer people or more deserving of something. They know they've messed up and they know they desperately need Jesus. Paul writes the Ephesian church. He says, for it's by grace, that's undeserved favour, you have been saved through faith. And that's trusting in Jesus. And it's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Here we see everything is from God, even our very faith, even the faith you have in your heart so that no one can boast. No one can stand before Jesus and said, oh, I figured it out, I made the right choices, I'm such a nice person, I know my Bible really well, I go to church, I keep the rules, I follow the way, I fast on Tuesdays, pray on Fridays or whatever it is, and say that that's okay. It's just Jesus, Jesus alone, so that no one can boast. Romans says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the question is, can you do this? Are you trusting Jesus as God alone? Are you committed to following him 
This is the criteria. If you'd like to know more about this, discuss about who Jesus is and why he came and how Christians follow him, then why not join our next Alpha course? Details are on our website and a new course for you to join will be starting really soon. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, so often we come up with our own criteria of what makes us good enough, good enough for you. But we know if we honestly look, we're never good enough. Jesus, we know that we've got things wrong and we mess up all the time. We say the wrong thing. We make the wrong choices. But Jesus, you love us and you came. We want to make our hearts acceptable to you right now by saying we're sorry. Jesus, come, be Lord of our lives once more. Please fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Amen.